0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 166 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have an author and an advocate who will touch your hearts with their stories. This is Debbie Lauks and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today, and down there in Florida with weather. How's it going?
2: Greetings! We skated it this time. Hurricane ah, Laura goodness. went around us and into the unfortunate arms of oh. Louisiana and Texas. Yeah. And now it's creeping its way up. Midwest through Tennessee and Kentucky. So we are safe and sound here. Good.
1: I'm glad. I'm sorry for everybody else who got swept up in that. And we have California fires going crazy. And so, yeah, the world 2020. Mm, That's been a
2: joke. Yeah, been a big joke. But (laughs) if if the Encyclopedia Britannica still exists, the year Mm -hmm. you're listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. there's going to be an entire volume just for the year 2020. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you can, you can go on the internet and you can put in uh, what happened in history on this day. Can mm-hmm. you imagine what it's going to look like when you go, you know, type in what happened? What were the news stories? What happened in history in 2020?
1: In 2020, the whole year. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the one respite we have are horses. And Yay! it's true. I mean, you know, right? I mean, horses actually, not a lot has changed. You know, our effectiveness has not changed with horses. We might be spatially challenged between our horses. And I'm sorry for those of you who can't get to your horses, but for those who have been able to remain with our horses, I think we have a new appreciation for the time we can spend with them. In fact, we may have more time that we can spend with them in 2020 because of the pandemic, but, but I wouldn't wish it to do all over again ever on anyone never so so today is going to be a little bit of escapism i think the two yeah the two women on this episode just are going to just make you tear up maybe if you're sensitive like me
2: like that yeah Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a feel-good show yeah, yes,
1: I think so. I, I think, think
2: you'll appreciate these
1: ladies. Yeah, they yeah. they just touched my heart. They really did.
2: Yeah, and we're going to listen to our first guest, who is Susan Friedland, right after we hear from our title sponsor. Couldn't do this without them. Finish line fencing.
1: Well, I'm here again with Kim and Lisa, and we're talking about finish line fencing because I get a lot of questions from people who are trying to put up one thing or another, and uh, they know now about finish line fence and. Uh, your product but here's some of the questions that i get or at least one biggie what's the difference between finish line fencing the one the original and finish line
3: xl yeah absolutely debbie like i mentioned before the original finish line has actually been out for over 30 years now Um, and that one was actually developed um, for horse safety it's it's 1250 pounds of tensile strength it's four millimeters in diameter Um, And it's available on a spool. And one spool only weighs about 24 pounds. So it's very lightweight and easy to handle. Um, XL, on the other hand, has been out for a few years now. Um, It is 1,850 pounds of tensile strength, um, five millimeters in diameter. And it it really just adds to the visibility, that that thicker um, diameter. So is
1: that, that's the main feature of that is so that you can see it a little bit more from a distance, um, aesthetically or for uh, visibility for the animals.
0: Yes. That, that's, that was one of the main reasons. And actually it was an answer. We came up with this because a lot of our customers keep their cattle and the horses together. So we needed to come up with a solution for them. So we needed something a little higher tensile strength. So by increasing the diameter, which gave you the, Beautiful line to look at and more visibility. It also gave you that added tensile strength. So that way, the horses and uh, cattle, when they were worried about not maybe it not being strong enough at twelve fifty, the original. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people. We came out with this, and it's actually very popular. Still very economical, and and uh, it's really in high demand right now. We, uh, put it this way: thirty years ago, we used to sell about one percent black. Now it's about 3% black. And I think it's more of a trend in, in style.
1: You know, if you've got both colors available, they should counsel with you on what's going to be the best look and the best safety for their horses for their particular region. I imagine green backgrounds versus sandy Arizona backgrounds, you know, might make the difference. Thanks for sharing all that too. So where do people find you? How do they get hold of you?
3: So there are a few different ways that you can reach us. Um, we do have a website. It's finishlinefence.com. Our Facebook page is Finish Line Fence, or you can give us a call at 877-625-6100. Um, you can order online. We have a full shop on our website. You can give us a call. We'd be happy to get you a quote for free. Um, and we do ship out daily um, and worldwide as well. We're, we're very quick on shipping. We usually ship out the same day, if not the next business day.
1: Susan Friedland is a middle school history teacher by day and horse girl 24-7. The displaced Midwesterner who resides now in Southern California blogs about real horse life on her blog Saddle Seeks Horse, featuring alfalfa scraps in her handbag, always dusty riding boots, and product reviews for equestrians. Susan's riding has been featured in Horse Illustrated, Sidelines Magazine, Horse Nation, and Equitrekking. Well, welcome, Susan Friedland. Good to have you on the show again. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again, Debbie. It's always fun to chat with you. It is fun, and I'm glad that you're on. I mean, we, we've met on the trails, too, and that, and that was a a lot of fun. Um, and I know that you just rode a big old Clydesdale yeah. cross, I guess, or something. What were you doing? Well, no, it
4: was Well, it was actually a full Clydesdale. Oh. Um, of, yeah. So I was so inspired after a ride that you and I got to do with some other fun horse girls earlier this year that um, I kind of wanted to go back up to Central Coast, California area. And I had heard rumors that there was a ranch that had Clydesdales that you could do a trail ride on and you could see ocean views this is in Cambria Mm -hmm. so uh, a friend and I went up there and had a very memorable (laughs) trail ride experience on a beautiful ranch with some 18 hand new friends and they were three-year-olds which I don't know that I've ever ridden a three-year-old and they were perfect wow out on a trail ride too look at that right yeah yeah. yeah.
1: It's amazing. And was it a day trip?
4: Well, we kind of, yes and no. We both live in los the Los Angeles area. So we drove up. It was about a three and a half hour ride to the hotel where we stayed. And then mm-hmm. the Coval Ranch was like about a 45 minute drive from the hotel mm-hmm. in Paso. Yeah. So it was, then we kind of uh, actually took some time and went up to the beach where the elephant Seals are. And then, um, drove back to LA kind of shedding a tear.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah. What a great trip.
1: I'm so glad you're such an adventure. That's a lot of fun. And so I'm so glad that you wrote this book too. I wanted to have you on because, because you did write a book and I, I love how your brain works and it's a lot of fun and you're, you're very eloquent. Um, but you really tackled a big subject here. But I like I mean I I read the outside of it first. It's called Strands of Hope: How to Grieve the Loss of a Horse. And I thought, "Wow, okay. That's a big big subject to tackle, but the book is is really digestible." And and it says at the bottom, "Advice and Stories to Help You Heal." And I thought, "Wow, is she going to come at this like a psychologist or a, you know, my grandma holding my hand through something or how does it come across? It it didn't at all. Actually, it came across like talking to a girlfriend. I love that. Was that your intent?
4: I'm so glad you said that. That makes my heart very happy because that was my intent because mm-hmm. I kind of the idea for the book came about because I had a blog post several years ago um, about the subject of how to grieve when you lose a horse and I would get a lot of traffic on that and even have people send me personal emails you know hey i had one mom from south africa reach out to me and that kind of blew my mind that something that i wrote that was so personal and intimate really touched the heart of mm-hmm. a mom and a, a adolescent girl who unexpectedly lost a pony so that planted the seed of the idea to write the book so i resisted for a while because i thought i'm not really an expert i'm a my day job i'm a school teacher um you know i'm not a minister i'm not a therapist i'm not you know some researcher on the subject of grief so who am i to think that i can you know make someone feel better mm-hmm. um but then just you know i think then that was the very reason that i did find one book it's out of print now but written specifically to the topic of grieving a horse And when I read it, it just didn't really resonate with me for a few things. Um, One, it felt very overly sentimental and it dealt with aspects of like the decision-making process of, you know, Mm -hmm. putting your horse down. And I didn't, I felt like people would have already had to be at that point. And then what do you do? Because when I lost my heart horse, it was like, whoa, there goes my identity there goes my friends. That there goes my lifestyle, and it was just very jarring. I didn't really know what to do with myself. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that was my hope that I could just uh, write it as though I were having a conversation to someone, and you know, well, this is how how I did it. It's not necessarily the right way or the best way, but it worked for me. And maybe there's something another person could glean that might help them through a very difficult time. Yeah. So as you write you didn't
1: have wild aspirations that you could help people get over it, but more maybe get through it, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I like yeah. how you put that. <laughs> okay, write that down. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Seriously. but as we've all gone through it. We've all made those decisions and all that too, but I think the hardest part is actually being the friend and knowing what to say or, or how to be that friend, you know, Too, even though you've been through it, you can't, it's such a personal, uh, how long they've been with the horse, what the conditions, you know, all that stuff is just so personal. And I love how you said that, um, it's an end of an era kind of thing. You know, it is an end of a time, especially for you with DC, because you had mm-hmm. been with your horse for so long and um and through so much. But I mean, I guess everybody would say that, really, who's had a horse for a while, especially through childhood or partial childhood too. So I loved yeah, how
4: definitely. is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying definitely. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And and I I love how you started. I'm so sorry, you know? And when I when I jumped in there and I thought, okay, first thing you tell me is I'm not alone. That's a good thing to remember. It's like, for me, it was like when I was first had children too, it was like, I thought I was an island. I mean, I I got it about the horses, but children, not so much. <laughs> it was like, none of my girlfriends were having kids yet and, and all that. And I thought, I thought I was an island. I thought I was alone and that I was going crazy. And, you know, who are these <laughs> demon children, you know, and <laughs> who come out saying no, they, you know, they come out negative. And then you get with other people and you can begin to share. And then you think, okay, you know, I'm not the only one going through this. So, so I picked this book up as a perfect gift book. This is what you say. This is what you do. This is how you um, say I'm sorry, is you give this book.
4: I'm very flattered. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a sad gift but mm-hmm. i think if you did have a friend who you know was struggling um i mean it is sometimes hard to find the words because we're sad you know my mm-hmm. my friend's horse passed away a few years ago you know and you cry too not necessarily cuz you had such a connection with the horse but because you feel that pain um mm-hmm. because that's something you've gone through yourself and then because you love your friend you you yeah. can imagine you know you can't relate 100% but you can feel the depth of what that loss is and so yeah so uh f- for some people probably definitely giving them the book and i intentionally made it a short book because i feel like it is a sad topic mm-hmm. and i didn't want to overdo it Good. but if it's something that um i think there's about 100 pages and actually one of my beta readers said she read it in the span of an afternoon, I think just a few hours. So um, I I do like that about it. I
1: do too. I do too. It's like a a really nice card. (laughs) Really, a really (laughs) nice card. You know, I mean, what's a card going to say? But this says so much. I mean, it talks about tears. Go ahead and cry. Um, You know, cry, cry with your friend too, but cry. It's okay to grieve and, uh, and talk to a friend too. Don't just hold it in. You know, you might learn something about what, People have been through too. Uh, little tips. I'm not going to give a whole book, but I mean, write a eulogy. I, I love that. Uh, you know that sometimes that's cathartic for people to be able to write things down. Maybe not, but you give optional assignments that way and embrace your grief. I, I started thinking about each chapter, how important each one was. A lot of people think of commemorating. You know, get a strand of, of the, forelock, or you know what other people are going to do. Um, but most important, I think the ride again was was really cathartic too what did you What did you think when you wrote that?
4: well, for me it w- um I was in kind of a unique situation in that my horse um, was in another state because I had relocated for a job and had not found a good place because he was twenty three and i did, wasn't sure if it was fair to trailer a twenty three year old horse. Basically across the country, and you know, change to a Los Angeles horse lifestyle very different from a horse in the Midwest, where there's ample pasture and turnout time. Um, so, even though I wasn't seeing him on a daily basis during, you know, the months and couple of years leading up to his death, uh, it was the highlight of every time I had a weekend away or you know was able to connect with him and ride, and so. Um, it's, it, for me, it was kind of isolating, um, in that I hadn't really been able to penetrate equestrian culture at that time in my new, uh, I was living in orange County at the time and just felt like I didn't really know where to start. And like when you, I feel like when you own a horse, it gives you perfect, uh, connections to get to know other horse people. And Mm -hmm. because you're, you're where they are and, you know, you find out about the same events or things, but then when you don't have a horse, even though no one's trying to make you feel like an outsider in a way, you do feel kind of separate from that horsey culture or community. So I'm not really sure if I answered your question, Debbie. No, (laughs) you did.
6: Um, (laughs) Yeah,
4: Yeah, no, that's great. And I think
1: they probably the process of, learning about other people's way they grieve or or um, what their story was helped you as well to write this book. Do you have a, a story or two besides the, the mother and daughter from South Africa? Were there any yeah, others that well, touched your
4: heart? Mm-hmm. D- definitely. So um, many years ago when I was still living in Illinois, a good friend of mine, it's, she's still a good friend, but I don't see her as frequently. Uh, her name is Amy and she had this awesome horse named Spud, and he was a quarter horse. I mean, just one of those could do anything. Had the best heart, the best brain. Put a little kid on him, you could jump big jumps on him. You could trail ride, you could go bareback. And I remember this is over twenty years ago now, but um, one day Spud was there at the barn, and the next day he wasn't there because. When they went to get him in the pasture
5: mm.
4: the prior evening, he was on three legs and oh. like they had no idea what happened, some tragic accident. So um, anyway, I flash forward, she and I kind of lost touch. And so through Facebook, I was able to reconnect with her and um, found out she had gotten another horse, you know, years later after this horse. Spud had his tragic passing and he was an older Appaloosa and kind of ornery, but she loved him. And she strategically wanted him because she she never had the chance to retire Spud and let him live the life of leisure. And so she was excited that she had this older horse that she could look forward to retiring. Well, flash forward a few more years he died of colic and that didn't stop her. And so she got this new off track thoroughbred. And what really impressed me about, you know, over the years kind of following Amy's stories with horses is she is, she's like, you know what? I think every horse deserves to be a heart horse. So like, you know, she loved Spud, couldn't imagine losing him, but then, you know, her next horse, Manny comes along and, it, it's like not a replacement obviously, but like a way to honor her previous horse. And so I just loved her, her, um, spunky attitude. And just like when her horse, Manny died, she didn't take a long time to, you know, I'm not going to have a horse for years or whatever. She kind of right away started putting out feelers. Um, and she knew she wanted to off track thoroughbred. So just her kind of tenacity and loving horses was very, um, inspirational to me um one of the people that i had a chance to interview in the book has a beautiful young imported warm blood and she showed him i believe for like one season or maybe a season and a half jumpers and then she found out he had some a uh, very rare type of i believe it was a bone thing mm. and so she grieved also her horse was alive and well, but she really grieved that like this, uh, burgeoning career that they were going to have, you know, in the jumper ring, Mm -hmm. um, was so cut short, but, and then, and she's very much at the school, like it's, you know, people would be like, well, are you going to get another jumper? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, he's part of my family now. And a lot of show people, you know, of course they would figure out something to rehome or whatever the, the horse that's had the injury. But I just really admired her as a horsewoman. That it's like this, you know, is my horse. I love him. He's my responsibility. And um the last time we spoke, I know he, he can still be ridden, but just not at the level mm-hmm. that she was hoping and that they originally had. So she was trying to figure out like what is going to work for him, what is going to, you know, keep him sound, keep him happy. And so even though she's a very ambitious and beautiful rider, um, competitive. You know, she sees the animal and the importance there is the relationship. And so that's very inspiring.
1: That is. that That's so wonderful that, I mean, it, it is kind of counterintuitive in the professional world, but I think that's changing a little bit because they are becoming more a part of our family, horses are, and uh, and people are starting to understand that it's responsibility too. I mean, it is kind of Odd to think of them as a commodity as opposed to a part of our family. So I I love that trend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so um, you published it, self published it. You've got it available on Amazon. How do people get a hold of it?
4: Yes, it is self published, and um, as of right now, it's on Amazon. It's in both um, a print book and an ebook. And so probably the easiest way to find it, if you are going straight to Amazon, is just type in strands, like hair strands, like Mm -hmm. on the cover is a picture of a tail like keep tails of our favorite horses, um, strands of hope. And I did find there's soon to be released, I think like a teenage romance novel called a strand of hope. So it's not that one. Um, and my last name, you'll be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, that's not the horsey one. (laughs) Um, Susan Friedland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Susan Friedland spelled like fried land, Mm -hmm. or if they wanted to check out my blog, my website is saddle seeks horse, -horse And then I have information about the book there. Like they can see the picture of it and click on it and that.
1: Good, good. And people will love your blog as well. So I'm glad you mentioned that too, because that's how I found you originally, I think through the American horse publications and, and your blog. And we met we met up in Arizona, I think the first time. Yeah. And we got to, I got to see these Clyde's up there in, uh, Cambria, which that's just about an hour North of the farm. So Uh, yes.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. You're planning the seed of an idea.
1: amazing.
4: (laughs) Let's
1: do it again. Okay. Good. Well, thanks for being on horsemanship radio. I really enjoyed having you again, Susan. And uh, we're just waiting to see what you write
4: up next. Oh, thanks, Debbie. Yeah, it's so fun to come on, and I always love chatting with you, and um, I appreciate the chance to tell the story of my book on grieving horse.
1: Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions, too. You head to the arena, and you work on each new lesson, knowing Monty's there to encourage you— all with violence-free, tried and true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just bought her first horse.
5: Recently, I went to a tax shop to look for a smaller halter. Um, 61, just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday, just a few weeks ago, after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy, but as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, The only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16, and I got bucked off, and that was it, (laughs) until I was 61, um, well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this precious lady, 84-year-old lady, gave me a copy of this magazine, Equine Mon- Monthly. And the article I read in it was Horses Are Biofeedback Beings. And it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truthfully, that's just a pain. Um, I love that the uni videos are concise and they're in order. Um, They have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university. It really has changed my life and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse Jack now for seven weeks and Thanks to the videos, I've done join up with him, and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in an arena, but it still worked. Thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals, um, the ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really wants to love a horse. Kathy
1: laura lee is founder and president of wild horse education lee has a background in journalism and saw a real void in the information available to the public and the subsequent inability to address problems proactively lee founded wild horse education to take on that challenge and address long-standing issues head on laura's resume includes a decade of on-the-range data collection and documentation that has been allowed as evidence in court rulings that were deemed impossible by many to achieve. She took the Bureau of Land Management to court over inhuman treatment of wild horses at roundups. But her work is not limited to roundups. First Amendment cases brought access to roundups, and cases against inequity on range have stopped legally unjustified removals before they could begin. Well, welcome, Laura Lee, you started something that we want to hear the background on, not just because we love horses, but because we love people who love horses. And the wild horse education was created by you out of necessity. And I want to hear why that happened. Tell me about your horsey background.
7: Well, I've had horses all my life. And, uh, you know, the, the probably the first love of my life was a big Cleveland Bay. Uh, when I was a child, and I never felt safer, just like many of your listeners, um, except when I was around that horse, and I would muck him in the morning and muck again at night, and I even fell asleep in a stall. And so I think at the right time in my life, my DNA was altered. And so, you know, you always hear the the horses, and I've had horses on and off all my life. And then, you know, like what happens with many people, Life doesn't always go according to plan. And mine's been a little rougher than most. And I lost everything, went through really bad divorce and ended up homeless with nothing. Mm -hmm. And I went to see the wild horses because, you know, they live in the land of things nobody wants. And I kind of felt an affinity. And I wanted to see the truth about what was going on. I mean, you hear... You know, I would hear one, maybe once or twice a year about the roundups and about we still had wild horses, mm-hmm. And I wanted to, to see what was going on. And I went to a roundup. And at my very first roundup, I watched a, an eight-month-old colt run until his, until his feet began to slough off.
0: Mm-hmm.
7: And yeah. I, I made a promise to him that I would fight until we had a human handling policy. But what I found when I started the fight was that there was a real deficit in the in the public, about how to fight and what the process was, what you know, how were these wild horses, what's going on? And so often they would get lumped in with domestic horses, yeah when in truth, they're a public lands issue. And so I started that's why the name of the organization is Wild Horse Education, because mm. the first thing you need as an advocate is information. Exactly. Oh, exactly. and I and I kept that. I kept that promise to that cult as well. We now to have a humane day. handling policy.
1: Awesome. And and you've been instrumental in so much of that. So many people want to advocate for horses, and and you know that you can see wild horses, and everybody agrees that they're beautiful and they're iconic and they're part of Americana. But let's talk a little bit about what's the difference between. A wild horse on on lands like that, and a domestic horse on lands like that is that is that a difference?
7: Yes, it's a huge difference. So biologically, there's no difference. Now, so they all all these herds have you know many of them have unique DNA because of the land they stand on and the influence of the history of the land. But biologically, a horse is a horse. Legally, the wild horses carry a very unique definition. They are the only animal in our nation legally defined by the land they stand. So a wild horse standing on federal land that's protected by the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burroughs Act mm-hmm. is a wild horse under law. All of the rest of them are considered free roaming horses of different jurisdictions. So when we're talking about the wild horse, that's, legal, that's a legal label of a, a free roaming horse on public land. And the rest of them are either feral or, you know, considered feral under law, you know, released domestics, or they're considered um, state property or tribal horses or, you know, the the words wild horse are actually a legal label. Isn't that fascinating?
1: It is. It's not something I knew until I talked to you. And I thought that was probably something that if I don't know anybody who's maybe surfacely read a few things about wild horses and the BLM, might not know that either. So I wanted to have you on to explore that a little bit and, and our way forward to that. How did that happen? How did it become a division between a definition of a wild horse and and a feral horse, a domesticated horse out on wild lands?
7: So a lot of people have seen that movie, The Misfits, with Marilyn Monroe mm. and Mustanging. And so back when horses didn't have a jurisdiction, so to speak, they didn't have that label. Uh, you could go out and pull off a few horses off of federal land without any permit or anything and sell them for dog food, chicken feed, you know, or mm-hmm. keep them for yourself. And that was mustanging. And it was driving the populations of free-roaming horses and burros on our public lands down to nothing. And it was cruel. It was extraordinary cruel cruelty out there with poisoning of this, water sources and
1: oh gosh and
7: stuff like that. And so it, there was this woman who we know as now know as Wild Horse Annie, whose right. real name was Velma Johnson. And she made it her life's mission after seeing a truck go down the highway with blood dripping out of the back mm-hmm. and saw it land in a slaughterhouse. And she made it her mission to get protection for those horses and gained federal jurisdiction by the passage of that law. And so the word Mustang kind of a catch-all term. The mm-hmm. word "wild horse." Now, it Thelma Johnson was responsible for that.
1: Not much has moved on, though, since since Velma was influential. Um, not much has changed. So, uh, if, it, so the Misfits was was that a '50s movie or a '60s movie? Something. I mean, it goes 1960, pretty far back. Nineteen sixty-one. There we go, right in the middle there. Uh, the beginning of the sixties, <laughs> right? And and anybody who watches that movie, it is pretty interesting how not only horses are treated, but women as well. Yes, and that hasn't changed much either. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you might respond
6: to that
7: with <laughs> Yeah, no, out here as a as a woman in this fight. It's very difficult. You know, you're often treated, you're treated differently because you're a woman. And then again, you're treated differently because you're interested in wild horses. Mm-hmm. And they often, um, you know, uh, see wild horses as the women's issue of public lands. Really? And so it gets pretty, yeah, it gets really, you know, interesting and complicated when you go into the psychology, but the psychology of the West hasn't changed much from the Misfits either. Uh, there's been one policy change since Thelma's work, and that was that humane policy. Um, And I did that litigating as a homeless woman out of the back of my trap, going roundup to roundup to roundup. But every other policy change that we've had has really taken it backwards, not forward. So if you look at when we passed all our environmental laws in this country, the Endangered Species Act, the Environmental Protection Act, all of them, it's all around the same time as the Wild Tree Roaming Horses and Burrows Act. It was that 1970, uh, you know, turn of the century moment. I mean, turn of the decade moment. Mm-hmm. And the Wild Horse Burrow Act has gone backwards, not forwards, just with that one policy change. And that's what I really found was that lack of understanding that when we want to advocate for the wild horses, it's within the laws of public lands management, not within the laws of domestic animals. And so even when I was litigating, just to stop the abuse at Roundups, mm-hmm. that wasn't a domestic law case. It was a public lands case. So even when we're talking about, you know, don't run them till they collapse or through barbed wire or hit them with a helicopter, that's a very different law book. It's a public lands law book. And that's where we have to win this thing and fight this thing. And I think that the public sees a horse, knows a horse, loves a horse, and then doesn't understand about our public lands in the United States. In the United States, it's extraordinary. The American, the the federal government holds in trust hundreds of millions of acres of land. That's your land. Mm -hmm. And that's a very unique American conversation as well. And the horses are a part of that, an extraordinary part of that.
1: If you could go back to 1968 or so, and you had hindsight, which is never possible here. So we're, we're in dreamland, I know, but... If you could go back and start to advocate for something back then, what would you do?
7: Well, first, I would make Velma Johnson tell me everything she knew and everything she had experienced. There's a book out there written by a writer, Alan Kanya, and it's K-A-N-I-A. uh, If your listeners are interested in an extraordinary biography of her life, and I only read it a couple of years ago, but so much of what she fought for and and knew was lost when she died. And so to make sure that everything she had experienced could be picked up where she was leaving off, and that fight could have continued her fight. Her fight was really for that wild horse on public lands, and she really understood it. And so that's one of the the reasons I'm trying to train uh, wild horse education next gen right now Mm -hmm. is so that, you know, none of us live forever and Mm -hmm. and everything I've seen and experienced. I hope that it gets built on so that what I've done doesn't have to be redone
4: or relearned.
7: Yeah,
1: that's a good goal. How many people out there do you feel like really have their minds wrapped around it?
7: Uh, Around wild horses? Truly Mm -hmm. the wild horse issue? Mm -hmm. Maybe a dozen.
1: Yeah. Okay, that's where I it. Uh, many,
7: yeah, many of the organizations that you will see put out something about wild horses or whatever, they're large domestic animal organizations. Their fight really isn't a public, they're not public lands organizations either. And when they get involved, they, they have actually made things harder mm-hmm. in getting horses managed on our public lands, not easier. And they, And because it gets drawn into that other place.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's
7: what happened after Velma died.
1: Right. So if you could go back and change a trajectory, that's where you would, you'd probably go. Wild horses would
7: go like, and, and not just up the education, but really bring wild horses into that public lands conversation. Yes part of the environmental movement and not part of the domestic animal movement.
1: Exactly, exactly. Seems like a strategic fork in the road happened right there. And I think a lot of people would understand it better. Tell us the uniqueness. You've lived with the horses. You've lived in a car because you were homeless trying to advocate for these animals. Tell us what's unique about them. You've lived with domestic horses, you grew up with horses, and you've seen the wild horses.
7: Yeah, the wild horse is like the true horse. And when you sit with them, not only can you finish a thought, (laughs) Uh. but the more you sit with them, you can hear them. Um, And I know that sounds goofy, but we, as all horse owners, you know, your horses communicate with each other. They communicate with you. And when you sit with that wild horse, our wild horse can really lead you into their history. Back to that land, back to that wild place. Instead of all of the things we put on the horse, you can really learn what the horse is, that band structure and how and then how that band is part of the larger herd and how they communicate and coexist and then how they deal with their challenges and their environment. And with with horses, most domestic horse owners know this. When there's a threat, they react. When the threat is gone, stop. Where people hold grudges. (laughs) <laughs> and things get more complicated because you're lying about each other. You don't experience any of that <laughs> sitting with a herd of wild right. horses. And I recommend everybody go do it and do it before our public lands are gone. Because the land that horse stands on, where it gets its legal identity, we're losing that land that horse stands on really fast. Mm-hmm. And that's what the horses need us to hear right now.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the horses really are family out there I mean it's not just a band It's not just a herd They have a a dynamic that we could learn from
7: Oh and it's an extraordinary dynamic of, Of loyalty and position And I've seen horses rounded up And then years later People will try to reunite those families And the joy these horses experience When they see that bandmate That family member that they haven't seen in years it's, I can't even put it into words. And so as human beings, so often we like to set ourselves apart from the, the the larger human, you know, animal kingdom. When there are so many things we share, if you hadn't seen your child in three years and then all of a sudden see your child again, horses feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and they feel joy and they feel sorrow and they feel loss and these these uh, times when they're reunited it's just extraordinary to witness them talking and, and communicating and then and then they fall back into their old old place in the herd and it lasts mm-hmm. forever
1: wow if you had a a way to put horses uh, in some sort of preserves of some sort, I I have no idea what that looks like. But you knew that it was a controlled situation where there isn't any interference with uh, farmers or you know all the the political stuff that goes on. You really could. I know it would be a fence, but you know, you'd have them in an area. Yeah, that, I'd
7: never leave I'd never leave, but yeah, go ahead. I
1: know,
0: right. You'd build,
1: you'd build it from the inside and yeah, never see them. Absolutely. Over the fence. But, and then
0: lock
7: the door. <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. But what would that look like? Would, would that be um would that be something that people could go see or would you rather that people didn't go see, or could it be something that we could really teach the value of these lessons that horses hold for us?
7: Yes. And if you could make it large enough, because this is the thing, wild horses, not just their legal definition being the land they stand on, they're wild horses because of the sagegrass, the mule deer, the elk, the mountain lion that they share their range with. And so if I was going to create my preserve. All of those things would be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And you could watch from a distance, a respectful distance, and learn the lesson of that interconnected web of the life that humans have interfered with mm-hmm. and what wild really means. Mm-hmm. Could, could we because, watch
1: cameras? Could
7: we, absolutely. we put... Oh, okay. absolutely. I've tracked mountain lions. Mm. And there's a was a herd where the population of the, the full maturation rate was about 7%. And the, so the, the herd grew very slowly. And there were two mountain lions, and that's why. Mm-hmm. And so the, the weaker and older and sick animals, and they shared that range also with the antelope and the sage-grouse, and it was incredible to sit there and watch this.
0: Mm-hmm. But wildlife
7: mm-hmm. services killed the mountain lions. Oh. And the BLM remove the horses, and there's cows out there, and the yeah. grass and the range and the sage grass,
6: its all gone.
1: Yeah, and that's been the—that's been our our direction. So we we would like people to get educated and find out what they can do. Uh, what about the person who throws up his hands and says, "Are you kidding? It's the government. I, we're never going to get anything done." What do you say to them?
7: I I was homeless in my truck with no money. And I got them to change policy. Mm, One voice can make a difference. And if we all get educated on an issue, focus on that issue, and we all step and speak at the same time, we can move a mountain. You're brilliant.
1: That's awesome. How can people give us a call to action? What should we do?
7: Well, right now we've got a budget debate. And what Congress is getting ready to do is throw an additional 40, possibly 50 million at the BLM program the way it stands now with a small portion of it set to go for some temporary fertility control and all of that is tools in the toolbox. But BLM has never created a blueprint for actual management on the range where all of those things I talk about, the range preservation, critical habitat, water, all of those things I'm talking about, BLM has never created that blueprint for management. And so we do have an action item on our website where people can go and take action and begin to urge their legislators to mandate that BLM create those management plans for our herds prior to spending any money on that herd that we actually have, have to have the ability to engage that conversation. And then the other thing, They do is if you follow our website, there's a little box that says follow us. Just this week, there was a roundup. They had set up corrals, and the horses were having trouble getting water during this roundup. And we had an immediate call to action where people could take action. They did, and we've got those panels open so those horses have easier access to water. So we have the big actions of the big picture and then the little actions, and you can see them all if you just follow the website.
1: So go to wildhorseeducation.org.
7: Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And Read there's, about there's a little boy. box mm-hmm. that says follow us and put your email in there, and you'll get all our alerts.
1: And we will. We will, Laura Lee. And, I, and when you have more information or something that we can do, I would love to have you back. I would love to know that you've got people that you're mentoring out there. And we'd love to hear from them as well to see if we can keep the legacy going to protect the horses and that we can create some pathway so that we we can um grow as as a population, which you know is going to happen with humans? Well, I don't know. During the COVID time, it's
7: <laughs> questionable. <laughs> <why do> you... <laughs> now, Maybe what we, we have to all have, have and what we all need to do on every single issue that we're facing, not just wild horses, is we need to learn how to have an honest conversation and allow everybody to have a voice mm-hmm. in that process. We have to stop being selfish And we have to stop being cruel. And that's a statement clean across the board. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, good people
1: get involved. Starts the ball rolling. Like you. Thanks, Laura Lee.
7: Amen. Whisper the language of the
2: herd.
3: Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
6: Leave this world a better
0: place The magic in the language
6: of the Dear Monty, does your horse ground tie? I have started to ask my horses to ground tie often side by side for tacking up and just working with them on the ground, asking them to be quiet and stand by themselves without fussing against the gate or a rope or anything. I have also started to take a few minutes before every ride to let them stand tacked up quietly ground tied and have noticed them actually dozing off and kind of meditate. It has made a huge difference in how quiet and calm they are on the trail. What do you think of this technique? Is it a good thing to ask horses to st- stand ground tied while tacking up? Monty's answer. Dear Carrie, dear Carrie, Congratulations for taking the time to make these observations. I have no problem with the ground tie procedure. I simply would want no chance that the horse could step on a rein and injure his mouth. I feel sure you've taken measures to prevent this. Your discovery that relaxation extends itself to circumstances later in the day's experiences is impressive. It is also true that relaxation and cooperation build on the human observation that these circumstances are comfort-inducing.
1: For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
6: What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here?
3: Where in the
0: world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. Coming up swiftly here now is our... Horse sense and healing at Flag is up on September 11 through 13. You'll see a theme here in the fall. Squeezing in between the horse sense and healings, we have October 12 through 16. It's the Monty special training. We move that from August. Due to COVID, but it's gonna be more fun in October. So we're gonna have that October twelve through sixteen, and then October twenty-three through twenty-five, we'll have a horse sense in healing. We will have one as well in Solvang on November thirteen through fifteen and December four through six. So we're we're on some makeup for those on Horse sense and Healing and that. Our first responders and our military veterans that have had some experience with post-traumatic stress. So we put them with the horses and we put them in a round pin and we let them just mingle and communicate and have three days of just peace and it's really been effective and our science trials come out to prove that that is true and then in february february 8 through 12 we have mani special training with portuguese translation we have our friends from brazil coming in february to experience that mani special training as well
2: all righty. For Monty's special training with Portuguese mm-hmm. translation. So it is. A, so if someone who speaks English comes, they're going to. Yep. But it's it's in English and Portuguese. not Well, Mon- Portuguese.
1: Monty is, yeah, very much English. In <laughs> so he, his Portuguese is rougher than mine. So there you go. But Do you have y- a pro yeah, for- on hand. We have a pro-translation on hand who, in fact, is a, an instructor and so knows, you know, Monty's terms. And well, so it really sense. puts, it, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah.
2: If, for somebody who just is a normal everyday translator and not a horse person and not yeah. trained in Monty's method might. Struggle a bit to translate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it, it,
1: funny parts are we, we've we had that professor type uh, translator, you know, years ago. And the funny part is by the time they finished describing what Maddie was saying, and you know, Eight words, and they've done twenty. The horse is on to the next project. You yeah, <laughs> <know>? <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's it's pretty good that way. You know, they they get it down. Dad speaks pretty succinctly and and to the point because of the horse's movement and as the progression is going on. Anyway, but you'll come out speaking Portuguese before the end of the week. I'm I'm sure of it.
2: Well, there you go. An extra bonus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you would like to take care, take advantage of that bonus as well as any of the others that that uh, Debbie just mentioned, you can find them all at MontyRoberts.com, the official website, or you can call Flag Is Up Farms at 805-688-6288, where you can speak with a knowledgeable and friendly, real honest to goodness human being sitting right there at mm-hmm. Flag Is Up Farm. Yeah, Yay. for today. Yay. Detail. We'll go to today's show. Where are they going to go?
1: They're going to go to horsemanshipradio.com, and they're going to find links and photos and more information about our guests. Go there because you'll find their websites and get a lot more information. And as always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com, Monty Roberts, and Twitter at Monty underscore Roberts, and Instagram at Monty underscore Roberts. Look at that.
2: I see a pattern. <laughs> You're better with the app. Yeah, kept it. You kept it straightforward and easy to get uh, all of the Horse Radio Network shows, including this one, Horsemanship Radio, on your phone, which is where most folks listen to them. You can download the Horse Radio Network app. It's free and easy to use. It's available for i for Android or iPhones. Go to your app store and just search Horse Radio Network and download it today. And you can also listen on your favorite podcatcher like Spotify or iTunes and various and sundry others.
1: Ooh. And many thanks to our sponsors for today's show. That's Finish Lawn Fencing and Robertsuniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.